Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is episode 202 of the Distraction Pieces podcast. What a time we're having at the moment, right? Um, Last week's episode was 201, obviously. That's how numbers work. And it was the long-awaited chat with Cedric Bixler about the drive-in and the Mars Volta and and, and, and numerous other, other projects. And Thankfully, it seemed to live up to all your expectations, guys, because it's one that I've been promising for a long time. I'm a big fan of Cedric. I wanted to do the interview that I've always wanted to hear with him. And although we only had an hour, it was quite tight. Um, it went down a treat, it felt. And the week before that, obviously, was the big 200th episode with Jess Tom, Tourette's hero. What a reaction I've got to that. Two weeks on and I'm still getting messages about th- that episode and the and the impact um so yeah go and check that out that had to be the the 200 one because i knew it was going to be one of the best i've ever done this week's guest is beans on toast i love i love beans on toast the person and the food the person more in fact i don't eat the food very often but i enjoy any opportunity to say hello to jay um I've known Beans on Toast for years. We get into all of this. I don't know why I'm, t- I'm, I'm, I'm telling you. What I will tell you is this is a double episode. Um, oh, actually, I'll mention that last week's episode with Cedric got some love from the 2000 Trees Festival, which gets some love in this podcast. And they were, it was recorded before that, that happened, so that's nice. And 2000 Trees has got at the drive-in um, and Enter Shikari, obviously previous guest on the podcast as well. So they'll... Their lineup this year is strong. And Beans on Toast has played there numerous times. Um, that's why it comes up in this conversation. Um, but I'll tell you that I'm doing double episodes again this week because I've got some great ones. Um, I've put these two together so it'll be the Wednesday today and Friday because they're both just such amazing insights into the music industry. So you'll hear, hear Beans on Toast now. But next week I've got Nick Hawks who started XL, who signed The Prodigy <laughs> Uh, who brought Adam F over to EMI and got him in working with hip hop legends? He signed House of Pain. He did all sorts of stuff, and his stories are absolutely amazing. He's just started a podcast with Eddie Temple Morris, absolute legend of the Distraction Pieces podcast. One of the best episodes we've ever done, way way back. He's just started a podcast with Eddie called Trailblazers, and it's talking to kind of legends of the dance scene. So I think the first week is. Gary Newman, and then Fatboy Slim and Goldie and all sorts of great people. So, yeah, some really good good, good music industry ones, and I thought I'd double them up because um, I'm just recording so many at the moment. But speaking of the music industry, one of the things that comes up a lot in both of these conversations is the changes in the way the music industry works. And, in fact, when Beans on Toast was last week on the Hardcore Listing podcast, he talked about... His adapting of different ways to try and keep money in the bank and tick over now that people kind of steal music or everything becomes free. Um, and one of them raised ways to support me and other artists on Speech Development Records is to go to speechdevelopmentrecords.com and buy some of our lovely merch. There's loads of good stuff there. I know I say it every week. If you've heard it more than 10 times and never bought anything, it might be time to chip in. You know, you've had that's at least. 10 hours of uh, free entertainment. That's worth a T-shirt, right? They're beautiful T-shirts as well. So, so, so yeah, that's that's what's going on there. 
speechdevelopmentrecords.com for all your needs. I'm going to get into the podcast and I'll be back at the end with more information of what's to come of upcoming podcasts and all sorts of stuff. So um, this is episode 202 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Beans on Toast. And we're rolling. I'm joined today by Beans on Toast. I, I, I always call you Beans on Toast rather than... Like, I know your name's Jay. I know people call you Jay. I've got a weird thing about... Like, I call DJ a Yoda Yoda. I won't call him Duncan. I, I, weirdly, it's a weird sentence. I, I know a lot of wrestlers now. Okay. I'll, I'll never call any of them by their actual names. I like... I like if someone's chosen a name... Exactly. If you name. give yourself a silly name, you know, you should be called by exactly. it. Exactly. And, and why is a name that some people who hadn't met you yet gave you more important than the name you chose yourself <laughs> when you kind of... You've got to know yourself a bit. And I, I've, it's a weird thing with journalists, I find. Yeah. Where people were like, they're desperate. When I started off, I didn't put my name out there at all. And people were like, we need to know your real name. Yeah. It needs to be mad, Jay McAllister, also known as Beans and Toast. And it's like, but surely if I've just, for all intents and purposes, yeah. you know, here I am Beans and Toast. Exactly the same. And it's like, it's, I swear it's a word count thing sometimes. I've had that I don't numerous know times. I don't know your real name, so you've done a good job. Yeah, don't, well, don't give it away They'll put here. it in there. They'll put it in articles all the time, and it'll be like, what's that adding to the article? Do you know what I mean? Like, surely you can r- r- real name... Like, I'm not going to... Yeah, only because you don't, don't know. Don't spoil the Everyone magic. Else, it's yeah, easy to find out. spoil the magic. But just what's that adding to, to a description or article, the, your birth name? It's like adding height or or <laughs> no, anything no, else. No. It's like you don't need these extra Yeah, ag- agreed. And, I'm, and I'll happily answer to, you know... Beans on toast, or yeah. Jay, or anything. I've had all sorts over the years. Uh, Mr. Mashed Potato was probably uh, the best one. Has it ever been, or has it often been a problem that people think that Beans on Toast is a band rather than a person? The reason I say this is I was saying to my dad, I was having you on, and he saw he saw you at Wembley, and right, we'll okay. get on to that. Yeah. And I love my dad dearly, but like everyone's parents, his memory comes and goes a little bit. It's hazy, and he was like, oh yeah, I remember them. They were a good band. Are they... Still together, and I didn't even bother correct him. I was like, "Yeah." Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's never certainly never been a problem, and you know, for over the years, Beans on Toast has been a band, yeah. or a, you know, or a duo, and and it does kind of forever change. And I like to think that when people kind of book in Beans on Toast or come in to see Beans on Toast, they're sort of like happy that they might get a mix of. Different yeah. bits. I'll, I'll always be there. We haven't done any beans on toast yeah, gigs without me yet. Uh, but yeah, it can be a band. It can be a you know a, a moniker for a solo thing. It's it just rolls like it's that. good and it's nice because it um, again yeah it is you're you're this central point of that. I remember there was a point when I was touring and I was really starting to panic over. All oh, right, well, are they expecting a spoken word gig or are they expecting uh, a live band gig right, or okay, a down the sack yeah. gig and all that. And then you realise that if you're doing any or all of them well, it shouldn't matter too through, much. Yeah, Hopefully yeah, you get them there. You don't want to... The variety's got to be nice as yeah. well, really. I think yeah. the, And being able to do different, you know, perform on different levels and at different... Because the Wembley show, you know, we was a duo. So yeah. your dad wasn't necessarily yeah, 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 yeah. too far off the mark when he, said, when he said, are they, are they still about? And, and, and performing at different 
our levels is one of the, the, the key things there. And it's one of the things I've always been a huge fan of with you is you have always seen as at home in a pub, as you are in a venue, as you are in a, in literally a stadium. Uh, yeah, and that's exactly. kind of, that's hard to do at times. You know, Billy Bragg, obvious example of just being able to turn up with him and a guitar and play absolutely anywhere. But you always, not even necessarily sound-wise, but kind of attitude and delivery and performance-wise always remind me of Billy Childish as well, who was one who just always was, I'd see him at, at the forum and then I'd be at a random pub and the next night and he'd be up. in there just playing and, and not minding, you know? Yeah, I treat every gig exactly the same. I've been lucky to play some incredible sort of show. It's it's easy to judge a, a gig on how many people are there. And like, yeah. oh, there's loads of people there, therefore it sort of should be thought about differently. I, I, I enjoy them all, you yeah. know? And, even, you know, I still... On my travels, you know, I still play the odd gig when there's no one there. And I yeah. still, and I, there's a little bit to start for us. Like, oh man, you know, what am I doing? But then a couple of songs in, I'm loving it. Yeah. Like, I can still, I still enjoy it, you know. And, uh, and, and yeah. I guess that, you know, that's what kind of ties it all together is, yeah. is me enjoying the show. And that's the thing. I remember I've had gigs. I did a gig in a, a, a nightclub at, at 2 a.m. and it was a proper drinks offers nightclub like right one room was a karaoke room another room was all just like dance bangers and then me and dan in this random in a ski lodge in 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 the in the alpine lodge room and there was i think six people there to see us but that sticks in my head as one of my favorite gigs because it suddenly occurred to me i was like right i don't like it here and these six people have stayed till 1, 2 a.m. Right, okay. In this yeah, yeah. not that welcoming place for alternative types <laughs> to watch us. So, so like, you got to so go all out. So we have to put on a hell of a yeah, show. Yeah, you've got to go all out. It's weird because Wembley was an example. And again, we'll go into it more, but both of us played uh, as supporting Frank Turner. And it was one where I was hugely excited about it. And then while it was happening, I wasn't having as much fun as at some gigs. Just, just because of the distance between the stage and the audience and right, okay. the weirdness of it. I really I enjoyed it in hindsight, but I, I remember at, at the, the time, time just thinking, just smash all the songs, do the best performance you can, and it'll be over. Right. Which is a weird one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I had an incredible time. You know, I crowd surfed off the stage yeah. while uh, the DJ played, uh, oh, what was it? Mr. Big Stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, <laughs> and, your performance at Wembley was a favourite of was a highlight of mine. Of obviously, F- Frank was amazing. Watching the Billy whole night New was England so was, incredible. It was like yeah. just uh, you so know was, such a was, big move for Frank at the time, and yeah, and, but and everybody else on the bill was Essex as well. Wasn't yeah, it? It was, exactly. It was <laughs> Frank and the uh, Essex boys. Uh, Frank headlining with you, me and Dan Lassac and Billy Bragg, and you, and the the cool thing was that the crowd was there from the start. So yep. when you went out, it was rammed. And the thing that slayed me was, again, you, are you treating it like any other gig? And there, you started a song and people started to clap and you stopped and said, oh, sorry, that kind of, that ruins it a yeah. bit if you do that. There's I, no nice I, way of I saying that. I know how that. this song goes, yeah. just leave it to me. And I've been trying to say that for years. Because people's dream of playing w- 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 Wembley, having them all clapping along and you're like, 
It's actually going to ruin it a little bit. So if you can just not do that, just listen. Yeah, uh, there's no nice way to say that. But I've been trying for years. It's like people get into it. Just because my timing's bad. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's like if I have to keep in time with the crowd, it's always... always yeah, the crowd are always going to... Particularly the, in, in Wembley, they're gonna be, there's going to be a variation a in timing. Because it's bouncing yeah. around and you're at one point. Yeah, that, that show, after that <laughs> show, I was actually... Because did, it did go so well. And it was, you know, I had a 20-minute slot. Like I said, yeah. I smashed it out, wrote the song for it. And then just because I just didn't want to get off stage, that was like, you got... Because the whole thing was, you know, you don't overrun when yeah, you're on yeah. first at a gig like that. But I was just like too excited so i just jumped into the crowd and kind of crowd surfed off yeah. and uh and that was that but then after that frank kind of deemed me sort of arena ready and, yeah. uh, and the next so like two, maybe a year or maybe two years later when he did his full kind of first arena sort of like o2 mbn yeah. i did that as well Amazing. and, and by, the, by the end of that i mean it was just like every for me things get easier you know yeah. i think it's more it's, it's harder to play to no one than it is yeah. 20,000 20,000 is like the game's already you must be doing something and, right to and, even be there and you've you and frank are quite in, interlocked and his fan base know you I, again although you were on first i would people guarantee show up. Yeah. more people knew you than me and dan who were on after you and you know because again, of it, the yeah because of the, the links over the years yeah of course and of that course. was and that's a great thing because it it meant that you the, that warmth from reception of the, of the opening act again was there from the start and that can be a tough thing if when people often when people get to the size of doing arenas they've brought in They've had their hardcore fans and they've brought in a load of extra fans who aren't really that into gigs, aren't really that right, into yeah. seeing A lot puppies, of people but that's not the case with were like, you know, first crowd. on at arenas isn't, isn't, they might have been on the, the tour. First night was in Cardiff, Motorpoint Arena. And I was with a mate who was like, look, just heads up, like, don't don't get too don't get too bummed out if there's night you yeah. know if if because a thousand people are empty and I was like one shut up you know I'm playing at Cardiff Mope yeah. don't tell me to not go I was like two it's like it's Frank Turner I was like they'll I was like the place will be rammed and when I got to the place round it was and that you know that was um, it. Wembley and and the rest of the tour afterwards all like that it's so. amazing he's built that fan base and again it's it's, it's something the new record's oh, incredible as well I haven't privy heard it to yet. a few yeah. listens oh yeah. really yeah. well oh, when I had him on the podcast well I. One of the things we talked was basically that that we both kind of built this fan base that because when we tour we pick supports that number one we think are going to blow the crowd away and number two it's a selfish thing I'm hearing that support every night right, I want them to yeah. be really good so and it coming with a really stamp good. of approval yeah, you know if it exactly. by, by sort of putting your neck out and saying we chose this this person to come because yeah. of these reasons then and like a stamp of approval goes a long way and i think you know for people that are buying tickets you know the band that is selling the tickets should you know should encourage the the you know a good evening's worth of entertainment and for everybody's money you know hundred that's it and it's the money thing now it's always blows my mind when people because because we'd get again as similar to frank get, get a lot of love from the fact that our crowd would get there early as they can and the bulk of them would watch everything. And my mind is always, again, it, it might be a working class Essex thing, but it's like, well, you've paid, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. So you might as well get, get your money's night, worth. Get in there you, as well, yeah, yeah. Get, get in extras, there, watch get it. Get drinks, yeah. have a good night, and, and take it all in. So, so what was your route into music? Uh, when did you start off? Because when I joined the scene, it felt as if you, you'd kind of always been around. And it was a beautiful time. I don't know if it's because the music that I made and me and Dan made didn't really fit into any a one genre, but it meant that we kind of got to mix with tons of genres. Of course, we, yeah. we weren't 
in the rap in the UK rap scene, but we had a load you of could, mates yeah, there, and we yeah. could meet a lot of same with the in- indie and whatnot. Yeah, which was in there with the indie kids, and you do a, a lot of gigs with the spoken word crowds and with that kind of thing, and that's kind of it. Felt like there was this constant, beautiful cr- crossover of just people with a similar outlook rather than a similar sound. Definitely, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, and just making good music at the time. I yeah. think, like, I was, um, you know, as far as getting into music, you know, I, was, I think I. I sort of pretended I was in a band before I could play an instrument, basically. Yeah. Like, we just used to gra- graffiti the band's name around school and just tell everyone, like, we're in a band. Amazing. And then it was like, that came first. And then it was like, shit, we got a, you know, we should probably get some instruments I, at least. I, I still don't think I've told anyone. This might be the first time I've said this out loud, but my first band, Anti Penultimate, was completely fiction. It was purely me making cool designs and, and telling my mates at school I was in a band because I was like oh this is my band right that's it yes so, so that's even in my head I started to trick myself when someone was asking <laughs> the other day, oh, what, oh, what was your first band I was like well there was only Annie Penultimate <laughs> and then there was Lardass it's like Lardass only ever met up for two or three practices but are we booked gigs that we never turned up to, so that we'd be listed in the local papers. <laughs> we did all again. All oh, we, of that we, kind we, of we, build that hype. It's, it did turn into. We was called Jellicar Band, and it did turn into a. Uh, you know, there was three of us, a and after graffiti in the band, we was like, right, okay, who's going to play what? Yeah, you we know? committed to. Yeah, it. And, uh, and and you know, we <laughs> just sort of we learned how to play kind of free chord grunge songs to get. You know, we learned our instruments together, yeah. and just as that kind of faded, I just. I was sort of songwriting for that for that band, and I just loved songwriting. Basically, yeah. from from that first song that I wrote, uh, I, I you know I, there hasn't been a kind of couple of weeks past where I haven't written a song. It's Amazing. just like oh, uh, just creating. So I just enjoy the process of creating something out of nothing, and yeah. Uh, it's yeah, it's just I don't know whether it, I don't know what would have happened to me if I stopped. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So uh, I've never you know I've never tried. So just always been writing and slope from that. I was never really listening to like, you know, I grew up on a lot of country music, but it was, I never set out to make folk music or anything. Yeah. It was just like, it was just, I was writing songs on an acoustic guitar in with the, the idea of putting a band together. Yeah. And I was going to call the band Beans on Toast. And by this time, you know, I'd moved to London by this time and was running and working in pubs and clubs, basically. Yeah. So that yeah, was why right. I was a lot hooked up with, I was I used to manage a band called The Holloways, yeah. uh, run a club night called Frog in central London, which was like, you know, Thousand Cap Club every Saturday Amazing. with everybody like passing through. So kind of do, doing that predominantly and at the same time, just kind of filling in the gaps with my, with my own chains. Yeah. And then at Glastonbury one year, I had these like 10 songs. And at Glastonbury, I, there was just a guitar and a kind of open mic type stage. And I got up and I just thought, I'd just try out these songs. And I reckon by the time I'd done the second song, I was like, shit, I don't need a band. Yeah. It, I mean, it was preaching to the converted. This was singing songs about getting hammered at festivals to hammered people at festivals. Yeah, it's kind you know, of, and it went down a tree. Know your crowd. Yeah, it went down a tree. And it was like, oh, man. And just from and from that first Glasto gig, again, I've, and I've always kind of, I've never really sort of pushed shows on anybody. I basically, I did that gig. And uh, and I got offered another one, yeah. and and at the time I was living in a pub in Holloway Road um, and putting on gigs there, so I could book my own. I'd I'd put put myself on a support. Oh, what pub was that? Uh, Nambuka. Uh, Nambuka. Which was, that there was, was there was one kind of Camden way I seem to remember as, as well. after that. that yeah, after Nambuka burnt down, then yeah. we kind of like, like off the uh, out of the ashes. Yeah. the crew went to a few. We did Flowerpot in Kentish Town. Yeah, and then yeah, uh, the Flowerpot was one that, that I I kind of always knew. If I was up that way, if I popped in, I could probably catch 
a beans on toast gig. Or <laughs> some kind of, and, and it was numerous times I'd just be like, let's pop by it. And you'd be playing and doing a little acoustic it, set. It was like, you don't even need listings. It was just the exactly percentages that. are decent. Yeah, yeah. That was actually me. I was supposed to be booking the bands and it just went on full short. I'd just have sort of like, <laughs> yeah, just take it up, out. which worked, you know, and from that, it just like one gig would, would, would lead to another. Yeah. And, uh, and without kind of, ever having a sort of plan or or sort of setting out to sort of achieve anything. I was just, you know, had loads of gigs and loads of songs and yeah. uh, and and then just recorded them and put the first album up. I love it because it it, it makes sense hearing it that way that in, in in many like most people start on the local scene and then after a few years build their way up to festivals and it feels like you kind of started more at festivals and you've always had that vibe that like I think you've always been a really popular uh, festival act because exactly that you're preaching to the converted you're giving them yeah, you, yeah. and you, I you're went, one of them I you're went one to of these festivals yeah. you know like I mean uh, I was going to you know talk about the book which is very sort of like festival heavy but you know yeah. I went to before I started playing at any festivals like I religiously went yeah. to them yeah, you know, the f- and people always say, "How'd you get gigs at festivals?" I was like, "Just go. It's a yeah. good start." You yeah. know, like, and if you got a guitar or whatever, take that with you. Are you, you know, are you and Kate Tempest were two that are always associated with. You just be at festivals. You, whether you're booked or not, but also if you're booked for one gig, I know I'm going to have a lot of opportunities to see you because <laughs> right, you'll yeah. be about exactly. Well, I, I mean, Kate's my, Kate's my hero. Hey, I, 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 you know, I first saw her at, at playing. Yeah, playing in a tiny little tent in uh, the sort of unfair ground at Glastow years and years ago. Yeah. And that right there and then I was like, she's probably got the power to change the world. Yeah. And then seeing her at West Holtz, you know, yeah. crying my eyes out like last year. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. And, you know, she, she's incredible. So It's ridiculous, isn't it? And it's, again, it's those, it's, it's, it's those people who've got an urgency to just get up there and do it. And that's, I think that's, that's what makes it rather than ask, how do I get a gig here? <laughs> How do I do this? And do that? Yeah, yeah. Not, not taking the time to ask, just going, let's go and figure it out. Mm. Let's go down there and we'll see. And we'll, we'll, we'll see who we meet and see, you know, what we... Yeah, and, and like so rather, than, rather than asking, be it stuff being offered is always nice, yeah. you know, because that would yeah. be the thing. You do one show and then someone will go, oh, you know. I've, I think if people know that you're up for it as well, yeah. then it's like, oh, I've got this bar or I, I've got this, you know, tent at this festival. But, um, and, you know, before I knew it, it was like my summers were rammed. It's key, man. One of the bits, as I say in... Before we got started, I've I've been in London today as well, and I'm about to wear a suit because it was for an audition. But now I'm home. I'm in my comfy trousers and my, <laughs> and my hoodies, so we can relax and just chat. But one of the things, the best bits of advice I got for auditions was, you know, the person who's auditioning you, it's their job to cast someone in that role, so they want you to get that. Of course, and it's a similar thing on that on gigs. It's like with you know, promoters. there's someone who promoters needs need to book. Bands. They need bands. Yeah. They need to fill spaces. So. It's not this kind of, oh, how can I convince them? It's like, if you can present yourself and do a decent job, then they're going to be all over you. They're going to be hundred percent. That's they need, you know, they need music as much as you need gigs. You know, it's It's their job too, to fill these slots, to fill these hours in numerous places. So, and again, if, 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 and I guess that goes across the board for the whole of the industry as well, isn't it? You know, it's like knowing that it's, it's some, it's, it feels like someone sort of, made you feel like you know for 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 an artist you're the one that you know hasn't got anything to offer and all yeah. this, everyone else around you has yeah. to sort of like give you leg ups or whatnot when really you know it's like 
And, you know, I suppose when, you know, the, the sort of instant stars of the world, you know, when sort of like the first time Florence and Machine, you, know, yeah. you know, it's like she sings, everyone's like, she's in, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll work the business around yeah. you. So, yeah. you know, I guess there is a bit of that. I always remember doing gigs early on with Florence and with Ploma Faith and both of them just being, well, they have to get huge. Yeah, this can't, yeah. Can, this can't work in a little pub forever. Yeah. Once or twice, it's a nice novelty, but this is too big. Yeah, yeah, this is, this is a worldwide this, superstar yeah. right here down the local pub. Yeah, and it's good when they do, when they do turn yeah. into the and it's like oh, you know, few. I've I've made some pretty bad calls. You yeah. know, I remember seeing like Coldplay in the new band's tent at some oh, festival really? and being like, yeah, it's not really going to go. In it. It, was, it, it, it was like it's just like ripping off radio. They're not, not going to work. And then like three three years later, watching them headline pyramid stage and being like singing along everyone. Yeah. Every word. And what's your feeling on, on on bands like Coldplay or that 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 experience? And Frank will be be, be someone who's had it of of the backlash when you do break through. Because I'm not particularly a Coldplay fan, but they my God, like can it. they write some good yeah, songs? Definitely. They can write amazing songs. It annoys me when people are like, "Oh, this shit." They're just, they're just, no, they're amazing. Yeah, it's not I've always not to my got, taste. Yeah, but... I've not got a bad words say about bands that do well. You yeah. know, there's I guess there's. You know, there's bands that you kind of love to hate out there, but yeah. I keep that, you know, between, I'm not going to say that on a podcast, yeah, I keep yeah, that between me and my friends. But yeah, you know, I, I think that a lot, of, a lot of it's really justified. You know, like Ed Sheeran, for example, I think yeah. he gets a lot of shit. And, you know, considering, you know, he's a sort of like, he's not like the best looking chap. He writes his own songs and he doesn't come from this sort of like a particularly easy background. And it's like, if any, if, if that's a great guy to have as a pop star, 100%. you know, like out of all, 100%. out of all the choices. And it's like, and it's like, and he does things like play stadium solo. It's like, yeah. good on him. It's I like, remember, I remember hearing that Ed was a bit bummed out. And again, cause people are humans and it was, I think M enemy or someone had just put him as most hated person in music or something like that. And I'm messaging him in, in, in that morning saying, I've just woken up and I've gone on Google or whatever. And the first news is a photo of you playing guitar. But behind you is Stevie Wonder on piano. In front of you is Jay-Z rapping. And next to you, leaning up against your back, is Beyonce. It's like, <laughs> you don't really have hated. to worry what yeah, yeah. fucking NME <laughs> think about you or what some hipsters think. And, then, and again, Ed's another one. He He, he kind of knows... His music isn't always to my taste. I think he's got some some bangers, but some of it isn't. Um, right, it's not yeah. my I thing. didn't realise you were friends. But, right, okay. but it's amazing. But it's it's fucking yeah. like, again. It, it, I I get stick for this all the time because I talk about Adele and Ed Sheeran and all these, and it's all people that I've knocked about with in the past. It's not like we're right, we're, yeah. we're on the phone dog. all the time yeah. now, so I can't overclaim that. But again, <laughs> it's one of them. He's he remind the first time I met Ed. He reminded me of you. Because he was someone that was just up for going anywhere and everywhere to, to, uh, to do a gig. Right. Five minutes or a 10 minute slot in Liverpool. Do it. Well, Am I going to yeah. break even or whatever? I'll do it. I'll yeah, come up yeah. there. I'll do it. And that was kind of that, now, that yeah. atmosphere. Yeah, exactly. He's breaking <laughs> in. But again, he's doing, as you said, you see some of the pop stuff that gets a backlash. He's, he did like four nights or something at Wembley or ten nights at Wembley with him and a guitar. Solo, yeah, yeah. And so that's it. All, if you do, you, you what do you want from your pop from your pop stars if it's not that? Yeah, you, know, you don't so. have to like it, but you fucking I demand yeah, yeah. you respect it. Yeah. I demand it. Um, so, what was kind of what's been the key? Do you think for the long 
longevity of your career because you've been doing this a while and it's it's not like you've got to that point of Ed Sheeran where yeah, all your bills are paid. So uh, yeah, it's um it's I, not I, an easy I think thing. ultimately sticking to my guns, you know, and I, I think that um it's it's weird music as a as doing it as a kind of job or a career or whatever. It's seen that it needs to. It's supposed to always kind of get bigger and get better. Every tour is supposed yeah. to be bigger than the last. Whereas that's never really, you know, I'm quite happy playing 200 cap rooms around yeah. the country. Yeah. And uh, and if I can fill them, then financially it pays better than any other job I've yeah. ever had. It's, and it's like, I think cultivating a kind of plateau yeah. is uh, um, not that I've, you know, not that I'd say no to a bigger show, of course not. Yeah. But it's like, I think I've never really, you know, like I said from the start, I didn't have any plan. And, uh, it's just been, I, you know, I, I'm still doing, yes, I've been doing it for a long time, but I'm still doing the same thing, you know, yeah. and that could, that's either brilliant or yeah. tragic, you know, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and I just try not to ponder it's too much on, 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 right on which way. one it is. I completely agree. I think the industry is a tough one because as soon as you start to have success in it, there's a pressure to compare yourself, again, either to previous tours or previous albums or whatever else, or to other people in the industry yeah, and I mean, how I, you should be climbing. And I, I don't I don't really get involved with the industry. Yeah, I've, got, yeah. I've got a small team of people that I work with, you know, Extra Mile put the records out, Adam books my shows, and, you know, they're friends first and foremost. And, uh, you know, and, and it's all... It's quite easy. I do, I do, you know, most all this sort of management role or any sort of design. So I'd make all the decisions myself. So there's not yeah. that that sort of cuts out a lot of a yeah. lot of time, whatnot. And from doing this, from releasing an album every year, it's kind of like I can plan quite far ahead. And it's like, and it's just, it's almost like just doing the same thing. So yeah. it's quite easy actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, but so, it's treating it as if it's. Again, it's that awareness that if I wasn't doing this, I'd have to be in whatever other job I've got at 9am till 5am. So I'm going to do so far in now. It's like, I don't know how I'd get, I don't know, you know, not that I'd want to, but it's, uh, you know, I, I don't know what I would do. You know, this is, this is it now, you know, this is what I do for my life. And like, you know, and, Folk music, I think, you know, like, you don't have to be young. So I can, yeah, you know, I can, exactly. I can be an old man Again, singing songs about the old days or I've whatever. Said and, uh, it's why I'm transitioning into acting, because as a rapper, I don't know if you want to be a 50-year-old old rapper. rapper. I don't know right? if it's the way to go. Some, you know, the icons can pull it off. But for me, it doesn't appeal too much. But um, And folk music's an interesting one, because it's a... It's, it's a broad, a genre, that's a broad, you know, spectrum, isn't it? It's a what very broad music, spectrum. You know? I, I, had, I put an album out by a guy called uh, Jack and My Brown on my label, which I'll give you a copy of. Please uh, do. Because yeah. I, I think you'll like. And it was a weird one because I was like, well, it's folk. But at the time we were putting it out, Mumford & Sons had just become the biggest band in the world. Sure. And I was like, it's nothing like Mumford & Sons. Right. It's kind Not of that, more, got folk. more blues in it than folk, but it's, it's folk. And the appeal of that was a similar thing to you there. Jack and my Brown had no interest in touring. He'd, he'd done two gigs and didn't see the appeal. Um, <laughs> he he had is. no interest in being a career musician. He just had these songs. He, he happily works in the library. It's fine doing that. Right, I had okay. to twist his arm to put it out. But it meant that as a label, having seen the, a bit of the inside of the industry, I was like, this album would not exist if I don't put it out. Because right. if, if, if they're not up for touring it, they're not up for doing this and that. Okay. And in the end, we put it out and it got it got 8 out of 10 in Uncut. It got good reviews right. and things like that. It's a good record, but people ask me all the time, 
it's when's his, his next album. It's like, no, that was it. Right. He, he had a record he wrote. Oh, that's kind of beautiful, I had to twist it? his arm yeah. to put it out. <laughs> There's no desire and appeal there. But again, it's kind of, it feels similar as well in that all of your ventures, although there's albums every year, there's, it's, I mean, it's weird when I see you announce a tour because it's like, well, you're never kind of off it the road. Really. It's, it's, it's like, yeah, oh, this yeah. is a, you still have to promote them. Oh, yeah. these are all on one poster, are they? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that's cool. That, that kind of comes together. But it's that thing. It's that. It's, it's it's never been that, right, we're aiming for this chart position or this or that. It's like, no, this is what... Yeah, this, if I'm not gigging, I don't know what I do of kind of scenario. So, yeah, yeah. Keep, keep, keep gigging and keep, you know, and keep writing and recording and releasing music. Oh, yeah. I'll do it, you know. I, I do it because I love it. You know, I was doing it for for a long time before I saw any, any cash from it for fun, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. and, uh, and, and now it's turned into, you know, it is what I do. So, and, you know, and little add on bits where it does, you know, actually you free up quite a lot of time. And I think it's, it's quite important to keep it fresh. So yeah, over the years I've, you know, I've made documentaries about small towns across England yeah. and stuff like that. And, and now and that's I've what's got interesting. you've got the book as well. Yeah, and that, and exactly. that is, it's the, it's the keeping it interesting. And it is a world now where, beautifully we can kind of do multiple things if if you're, you're someone who's on the road constantly then you've got a lot of time on the road there so you can do little documentaries about small towns yeah and little, exactly and, and the book is 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 top top drunk stories uh, uh, drunk folk stories it's called yeah and it was drunk written predominantly in last year in germany i was traveling uh, solo on the trains so i'd spend like four or five hours a day on a train and I was just like, I need a project, you know, I can't just sit oh. and watch bloody films all day. Yeah. Um, so yeah, started writing, started writing what turned into an actual book, which is something I never, ever thought I'd do. You know, I'm not, I'm not particularly good at sort of spelling or grammar, but mad, I had uh, sort of the, the books arrive tomorrow at my house. Amazing. And uh, it, it's, it's, you know, it's really exciting. It's uh, 10, I mean, you know, I've always, as well as being a songwriter, I guess, a storyteller That's on what I was going to say, you've got, the storytelling in the songs and in between the songs. It's always been, I will get as much enjoyment hearing you talk in between the songs. It helps that you've got the, the DMX of, of, of folk voice. Um, so, so, so I'll, I'll have as much fun of hearing you tell the story about this song well, that, as then playing it. the song. And people would often say you should write, you know, you should jot them down or, and it's, and it is, you know, and it are, they are stage stories that are about, you know, introductions to songs that once I started writing them down, it was like, all oh, right, it's, I'd talk a bit more about where I was at that part yeah. of my life. And it's like, and it all sort of like swung together. So it's 10 short, true stories. And uh, yeah, it's out in May, sort of self-publishing it. And I sort of got my head around all that, which there's incredible companies out there that, that help you. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Like I said, it arrives tomorrow. Amazing. And then so, so doing a tour of, uh, and how's the tour going to work? Cause are you so, just going to be doing well, the stories or are you going to be no, doing? No, not at all. It'll be, I mean, it, it would be because the, it, all, all in all, it's like, there's, there's a lot going on basically. It's like, so the book was out and then it's also, so this year will be my 10th album. Yeah. And I've been doing an album a year. So in my head, I thought that that meant my first album had been out 10 years this year. Right. So actually, it's nine because you start on zero. Right, of course. But maths well, has confusing. never been my strong point. Yeah, exactly. So I'd. So it's interesting because this year it's, it's the 10th anniversary of Angles, which was my first album. Right. And again, in my memory, you were knocking about at the same time, like before it's us feels, and all that kind of thing. So it's, it's kind of weird. It's like. How's your album not nine yet? And as is, I'm, I hope we've had 
calculated it right. I think we have. Yeah, I double check because it's because I I organised the whole thing. I was like, well, look, the album, the first album was called Standing on a Chair. I was just like, I was quite interested in a seated tour. Yeah. So I'm doing a tour called Sitting on a Chair to, and I was like, I'll re-release the album yeah. on vinyl. It never came out on vinyl, Amazing. so I'll release the first album on vinyl, do a seated tour, release the book, and then I was like, that album came out in 2009. It's fucking nine years. But the yeah. button had already been pressed. Yeah. So it was like, okay, so celebrate its seminal nine-year anniversary, yeah, standing yeah, on yeah, a chair, yeah, yeah. and just sort of, you know, we're just rolling with it. So the, the album's coming out on vinyl, which you're all sitting in my living room as well as we speak. How's uh, that? Because the, the weird thing about you, your first album is you make your first album and you've no idea that this is going to be a career this is going to be something yeah, yeah. I mean, hear. it's a fifty. Tr- it was fifty tracks recorded in four days. My oh, first geez. album as well. So it's quite scatty. And how many of them have you got any idea of now? Like, uh, if you had to play that album, how tough would that? How long would you have to practice to remember it? Uh, well, I mean, off, if I, if you know, give me a guitar and go. Now I reckon I could probably do about maybe 10 yeah. of the 50s uh, but <laughs> but give me a half hour and i'll rehearse them all you know yeah, they're still yeah, the same yeah, chords yeah, yeah, it's yeah, just remembering yeah, the words yeah. um but uh yeah so the tour's going to be a little bit like you know a sort of looking back at that record and all the records since but in a in a seated capacity and so, have you ever done kind of i've done a few you know i've played so many weird gigs shows. over the years i've done, every now and then a one pops up where the crowd has sat down and if the crowd has sat down i'll pull up a chair and sit down as well. Yeah. It's generally the rule. And so that's the kind of idea of this tour. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I've never done a full tour for it and it will still be, I'll definitely still have my guitar and it will be, and, it, and I'm not going to like read stories out of the book. I mean, any of the stories I could recount off the top of my head anyway, but you know, ultimately I think maybe I'll do like one story from the book and night, yeah, yeah, but yeah, just yeah, yeah. other bits and bobs. And normally I try and stop myself from talking during my gigs, yeah. uh, which I know I talk a lot, but I'm like, and I'm chatty tonight, like, That's and right, just yeah. trying. But this, this for the seated one, yeah, I've got a nice long set, and I'll just be like, rather than holding back on the stories, I'll kind of tell it, you know, I'll happily chat flow. and then do a tune. And I'll, I'm also going to kind of like, if anybody, because I've got so many songs, people like shout out random ones at gigs, and I never know it. So people can mail in beforehand, like Perfect. two days before, so you never play this song. So I can kind of give me a day to learn it and sort of, and just a bit of a... That's the weird bit that people don't understand. And I guess it's it's what I was kind of thinking on on, on, on the debut album is there's people who, 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 who listen to certain songs religiously, but if it's not a song that's made it into your regular touring over, then you're not going to have thought of it potentially yeah, in five years. Once and I, look, I, was like, I didn't even know that song existed, yeah. you know, like have What's I even that? got a song called that? Yeah. Um, so... Are you just abusing me or is that one of my, <laughs> is that one of my songs? Um, I'm going to do the boring part now of just a, a, a saying that your tour is starting in May and going to Brighton, Bath, Derby, Kendall, Edinburgh, York, Sunderland, Belfast, Liverpool, Sheffield, Folkestone, Colchester and London. Boom. That's um, not the boring part. That's the good bit. Yeah, but you know, it's the, it's the bit <laughs> that's impossible out. to try and remember, isn't it? When yeah, like, so where are you going on the tour? Liverpool, I yeah. think. Um, <laughs> there's something in there. Um, but that's ex- exciting. I like the idea, again, that people can hit you up in advance and kind of say, I'd like to hear this. Yeah. Is, I um, mean, I guess if people would have done that in the past, I might, you know, I, I guess I have done, but I'll actually sort of purposely put a call out and say, look, yeah. if you want to... If if you do want to change, let me know rather than on the spot. You know, give me you know, and I'll just yeah. re- rework it out. Yeah, I love it. So <laughs> so, 
there's you mentioned you've teased to me that there's a story in the book that's about or happened at a Lasat versus Pipkin. Well, no, not in some way so or at, involved. Yeah, or so so at the end of the book, uh, there's a kind of disclaimer that says, as far as I'm aware, this <laughs> happened. You know, like, uh, and there's, you know, over the years of telling stories, because I've been telling stories on stage, down the pub, you know, wherever, you know. They get uh, better and they, better. They, they kind of, yeah, some, and generally for the sake of the story rather than the facts. You yeah, know, like, yeah. that's how a story was. Mate, so, I'm a big fan of that. I'm so, a big fan of that. So, uh, but, so and, uh, and uh, one part of this, and, and at one, well, I'll tell the story, and when I get yeah. to the point, yeah. you can tell me whether that bit actually happened right. or not, Perfect. basically. So, okay. and it's, it's basically based around Reading Festival. Yeah. Which is, I, I was went to Reading, like I said, like religiously. I first went to Reading when I was 16 years old, which would have been, what, 97. And I went I every I went, year. I, I think 98 was the first year right. I went. Always had a dream of getting a canal boat it's for the festival. Right. Like, running out of canal boat. Because it's like, how amazing would that be? It's in my little... Happy stone of mine. I was like, imagine <laughs> just leaving the festival each night and you've got your canal boat. It would be ace, yes, yeah. Well, one I day mean, I'll do that. Originally, you know, I used to, that was always the hardest festival to break into, Reading, because you had to get in every day, you know, yeah, you get into yeah. the campsite and then roof But I went, you and know. Glastonbury I, was easy at that point to break into. Piece piece. I was, That's I was, where I learned. I cut my teeth at Glastonbury and I went same, to Reading man. and was like, hang on a minute, like, how do you get in it? I remember i breaking into Glastonbury a few years in a row and then one year I went with these other people and it's a long drive to Glastonbury and we got there and they went, no, nah, it looks as if we're not being able to break in, the fence is too big, let's go home. And I was like, what? So I, while they were sta- stood there, I broke in myself, then broke out again to prove that we it's can it, get in and out. Easy, right. I was like, now I'll give you a leg up yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, Reading the- was always, because you had to break in in the Every festival day. as well. Yeah, 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 that's it. It's kind get of, into the campsite quite the campsite easy, easy and then enough. you'd get into yeah. the uh, the arena day in, day out. But uh, so, yeah, I, I went for years before I started playing. And uh, in fact, my first, I got my first gig at Reading. Again, how do you get gigs at festivals? Yeah. I got my first gig. I was working, doing the clubs and Frog did a club night there. And I had a bit of a problem with graffiti at the time. And I right. used to just tag beans on toast everywhere. Yeah. And, uh, I've I was seen just it in like, a lot of places I over the years. Ta- I was like, I'm going to do Reading and I'm going to do it properly. And I went to, I literally went, I did every bin on site and in the, on site in the car parks, in the uh, campsites, Amazing. everywhere. I did a few tent walls, which was probably a bit of an arsey move. <laughs> uh, a few people, like I, I was literally like rip roared through the whole thing. And it was, it, it, Shit hit the fan basically. Yeah. There was like, I was getting chased down. Like the security didn't know who they was looking for, but uh, all this. And then the next year, I got a mail from the chap who was booking it. Who was like, Jay, if you leave your marker, if we book you to play Reading, will you leave your marker pen at home? Yeah, and I was like, you got yourself a deal. Okay, deal. yeah, you I'll got yourself it. a deal. I played first first year. I played would have been two thousand seven on the alternative stage. Yeah, good as gold. And then the last year I ever went, and the last year I played was 2008 at Reading. And that was, I from going to Reading forever, um, I, the, you know, I hated Leeds Festival, as, yeah. as every good yeah. Reading attendee would. 100%. And, and I was like, you, you know, I don't want to play Leeds, I just want to play Reading. And I was like, that's not how it works, you know. Yeah, yeah. You've got to play Leeds. So I was like, me and my mate, I was like, well, look, what we'll do, we'll just spend all weekend at Leeds. I think I was playing... Saturday in Leeds and Sunday in Reading. But I was like, let's go down to Reading. We'll do Thursday, Friday in Reading. We'll just bomb it up, up to, to Leeds, Leeds, do the show, and bomb it back. And that was like, all good. And that, so that was the plan. And then so on the Friday, Rage Against Machine were playing. Yes. And I was, you know, 
before I get stuck into this, I of course I love Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. You know who doesn't? What you know what they've done for the world yeah. is is indescribable, and for me personally, how they went on stage with like bright orange jumpsuits in like this kind of weird Guantanamo Bay kind of protest, yeah, which was just a little bit. It felt a little bit weird for an American band to be coming in, and I was just like, I thought the whole the stunt was a bit naff. Right. They didn't say anything about it. Yeah. They just did it, and then they kind of kicked into this tune, and I just wasn't really feeling the show. So I left and went to see Dan Lesac and Scroobius yes. Pitt. Yes, it was the first time that we were headlining a stage, and we were put up against Clashing. Rage I was against like, he wouldn't forget if he was clashing. Yeah. So it's true. No, it's completely true. Boom. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that's that's that's. I'm glad, I'm so glad that could look so bad for my yeah, no, for my book true. as well. 100%. So I left, so I left Rage and went to see you guys, and it was incredible. First time I saw you play, and uh, and then I kind of cracked on, and I spent the night not you know kind of slagging off Rage and their stupid political stunt, and then halfway through my kind of banger of a night at Reading, walking through the kind of clothes stalls, I saw a bright, luminous kind of Guantanamo Bay suit, and I was just like. I'll buy it. So I got it. And then journeyed up to Leeds. And so I, I, I did it all night. My poor mate picked me up in the transit and like we drove up to Leeds, me hammered, drinking like sort of white lightning the whole way up there. Amazing. We get to Leeds. The show is like three o'clock in the afternoon. And I basically realised that I'm playing at three o'clock in the afternoon on the tiny little alternative stage. The night, that evening, Rage are playing yeah. at the main stage. So I, was give like, a spoiler. <laughs> so I was like, right. And at this time, this was before my first album came out. I wasn't expecting anybody to come to the gig. Mm-hmm. And I was hammered and I thought I was be hilarious, basically. Turns out I was on just before Henry Rollins. Right. Which, wow. you know, yeah, incredible. And incredible enough for people to fill the tent, regardless of who's playing beforehand. Yeah, yeah. So I get there, shit-faced. The tent is rammed, absolutely rammed solid. Also... But this was back in the day when I used to stand on things at gigs. It yep. was like a thing. Yeah, I'd yeah, stand yeah. on chairs or bar stools. And it turns out that one, a woman that was working on, on the stage at Leeds had been to a gig and was like, I've got a great idea. And she put like a bass case in the centre of the stage and put a mic stand on it. So huge, like it looked stupid. Yeah. It was perfect, basically. Yeah, 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 and yeah. I was like, yeah, brilliant. And then I basically was like, put on my orange jumpsuit and put a bin liner over my head. Yeah. And... Uh, and I was just cutting the eye holes in it when someone was like, right, you're ready, you're going to go on. So I was like, I'll probably be able to manage without eye holes. And yeah, uh, I holes. walked out onto the stage <laughs> and tried to climb up after an all-nighter without a bin liner over my head, tried to climb on top of this base thing. Yeah. Uh, and it, it went badly. You know, I, I kind of got up there. I was sweating really badly. I stood there and I said, I am making a profound political statement to a tent full of people that are about to watch Henry Rollins yeah. quite up for a profound political yeah, statement. They are. And I looked like a complete dick, basically. <laughs> you know, who is this guy? What's he wearing What's a Guantanamo Bay outfit for? And then I was like, it took me ages to get the bin liner off and I, I hadn't plugged my guitar. I spent like, I had a 25-minute set. I spent 15 minutes of it <laughs> dicking around, basically. And then I finally got in. I played 10 minutes worth of songs, and I just left it. And I told one friend, I was, it was like, what were you doing? What the fuck was all that? And I was like, Rage, you're going to go on in Guantanamo yeah. Bay outfits later. And he was like, what? I was like, I saw it last night. 
was like, everyone thinks I'm a fucking idiot right now. But I was like, later. It's going to pay off. Yeah, it'll be amazing. And he was like, seriously. I was like, yeah, seriously. I was like, you wait. Jumped in the car and bombed it back to Reading. Fell asleep. Finally fell asleep. Woke up just as we got to Reading. And the one person that I told, my mate Ollie, just as we pulled into Reading, he just sent me a text. And he was like, Rage didn't do it. They had their set cut short. That's unbelievable. And that was it. You know, so, so and that was the last time I ever over. played Reading or Leeds. I was never invited back. I love it. I've, I've got a, a weird one over that gig because you'll know. I mean, as you said, with um, with stadium gigs, but with festival gigs as well, you play your slot and then you go, right? So that's the first time me and Dan had ever headlined a slot. So I had no idea. In my, it didn't even cross my mind that encores would be an option. Right. So we played our set, and Dan always ends on a big five-minute ending. And I was like, oh, I can probably catch the last Rage song or two. <laughs> so I come off stage and ran straight over to watch the end of Rage, and Dan was then furious with me because he came off, whole tent chanting for, for more, more for five minutes. He's like, where's Pip? Could, couldn't find me anywhere. He's got to watch Rage, to... who, you, who you have all decided chose yeah, not to watch. Yeah, so we didn't get to do an encore on that. I then, wow. at, at Leeds, I stuck around because I got a, a right telling off. Because it's like, there's a whole... Was you clashing with them te- at Leeds as well then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is an epic, epic A match. hell of a clash. The next time we got to headline a festival, a stage at a festival, was Glastonbury. And right. we were on at the same time as St- Stevie Wonder. Oh, God. <laughs> And we're sitting there. He started about 20 minutes before us. And we're sitting there and listening. We're thinking, it'll be all right. Because Glastonbury headline sets are like two hour, three hours long. Right, yeah. People can move around a little bit. And then it'll be album tracks, blah, blah, blah. And we're listening. He plays hit, hit, hit. Michael Jackson cover, hit, hit. And we're like, ah. But again, it was another one. The tent was round and it was lovely and amazing. But yeah. But you, you're, you're even more thankful then. Yeah, exactly. I did a Victorious Festival a couple of years back, and that—that that is a bit. Of, yeah, me too. Yeah. I was—I uh, was last minute added on. It is a, a longer story that is also in the book. <laughs> but uh, I was clashing with um, Calvin Harris yeah. and Noel Gallagher. Oh wow! It's like the country's most, you know, favorite songwriter and the country's favorite DJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. great gig, you know. Anybody that shows up out of choice when yeah. you've got them options and, and have come to watch me, I was like, yeah. You know, thanks, thanks, guys. This is now turning into it, seems as if I'm boasting of my career highlights. But the first <laughs> full festival that we got to headline was 2000 Trees. Okay. And that's yeah. a massive one for Frank. Yeah, and yeah, for you and yeah everyone. I've been there it's, like, years, yeah. it's always had, had such a good atmosphere. What, what is it about that festival that's got that? Because it feels like everyone that was at 2000 Trees was at Wembley for Frank. And, do you know what I mean? It feels, yeah, like it's yeah. such, it feels almost like it's Frank's, it's, it's a Frank gig. It's a Frank festival. <laughs> it, yeah, I don't know what it what what cultivated that. I've played a few times over the years and yeah. and and have always enjoyed it. Um, it's a great fe- yeah. It's definitely it's it's kind of got its own community. I yeah. guess it's easy as well, yeah. it, isn't it? Completely. So so what's how do you find touring? Because you've again always had that feel of kind of the traveling troubadour type thing. And again, there's points in the music industry. And there's a point where you can be doing decent-sized venues, n- not spending much and making a decent amount of money. Mm-hmm. There's then a point above that where you're having to spend out on a tour bus. And now me and Dad never got to that tour bus point. Yeah. We're always like, we'll be in the back of a van regardless. We'll do 
two nights at Coke. Like, we're doing yeah. these big venues, but a tour bus never seemed necessary. But then equally, I was discussing this, the, the, this recently with some mates. It's a weird one where if you get to the Coco level, it's a great venue. It's, it's my favourite venue to play. Yeah. We did two nights there instead of a bigger venue on our last right, our London okay, tour because yeah. we love it. But then also, if you get to Brixton level, you've got to bring your own desk, PA. bring your own PA. <laughs> so it's this weird thing. There are these points. Of yeah, jump, I don't have like, to worry about it. It feels like you've kept, a, a, you've kept in between one of them points. I if d- you jumped up a bit, you'd need a Soundman tour manager. Yeah, I don't have any of that. It feels like you kind of get to just knock about on your own and do it. Yeah, I mean, I've my my own van, Bongo, which is incredible. And like the bigger tours we'll do as a duo, uh, which would be me and Bob. And, uh, you know, we don't have a tour manager, sound man, anything, you know, like, and, you know, our rider's very small, you know, stuff like that. Just like, we just keep it really, really simple, you know, just turn the lights on and leave them on, you know, two DIs, you know, two mics and we're done. And just like, no, I think, you know, and I've toured, I've toured with bands and seen bands. And I think that, you know, the kind of the grind of, of touring where it wears people down is, you know, the carry in and the long sound checks. Like all we have, especially after touring the States, all we found is we have is time, you know, it's like, that's why I made this documentary about small towns. Cause I was like, we need something to do yeah. during the day, you know, like we should, and, and I'd find that, you know, from asking on stage, we've got like a few hours to kill tomorrow. Does anybody want to take us on like a walk or to their place of work or anything like that? Do that yeah. with a camera. And we ended up in some incredible places. I love that. And that's the, the kind of interaction. And it's the way it's one of the ways that you've, you've built such a warmth with a fan base. Cause you will be like, you'll, crush at someone's house or you'll go you'll go t- to see where they're you know yeah go around their town with them the next day and things like that it makes it interesting again, as well yeah, yeah. Exactly. and it, you know fun. it's it's inspiring as well you know yeah. that you know i always found with songwriting you know you write a song it puts you into a new and interesting situation which in turn writes another song yeah. so it's sort yeah. of like self it all feeds itself yeah, exactly yeah. it's weird because i've had countless gigs and i've adored Pretty much all of them. It's one of the reasons I stopped when I did because I was like, I'm kind of 10 years in. I've just done the biggest tour I've done with the biggest album I've done and I've enjoyed it all. I've not got to the point where I'm hating it yet. Right, okay. So I'd rather jump out. Jump out at at the peak. But the tour I've enjoyed the most, actually just having fun, is the spoken word tour I did with Kate Tempest and Polar Bear. And it's because it was exactly as you were saying there. We barely had to sound check. We'd literally just go, is there a mic? Yeah, yeah. Because if there's a mic, just before doors, then like, we're yeah. good. All I was loading in was merch. Yeah. And it's like, cool. Don't even have to load that That's out. That's kind of easy. Well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was. It was our mate Jim had a van, and, and Soundman Jim was, he was the Soundman of our local venues around here. In fact, s- some of the venues that my fake bands booked gigs at to build hype before we actually could do gigs, right. he was Soundman <laughs> at. And, he was just this dude that we got to take on the road. And me, Tempest and Polar Bear in the back of a van with Easy. no pressure. And when you, not in an arrogant way, but when you know your stuff, the gig's the easy part. It's the most fun part. Even even when you're touring with a full band or whatever else, the hard part is, as you said, the loading in and loading out, the sound check, the gap between sound check yeah, and this, yeah. this and all that. The gig bit... It's kind of easy well, if they're already the fun, on side as well. That's the your game as well, yeah. isn't it? You know, that's what that is ultimately what what it's all about. Yeah. And uh, 
yeah, the other bits just you kind of need to do. But yeah, I just have it so that them bits are everything I do is super simple. Yeah, basically, I just keep it keep it simple. And 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 how do you decide or define when you're going to do a tour versus because again, you're someone who's always been. I think the reason I found you a lot on the spoken word scene is the spoken word scene when it was starting off was essentially all over mic nights. Like right. it wasn't, you weren't getting spoken word gigs. So, right. and you were, so you were an open mic night type guy. Yeah, just, I never really anywhere played you can. a huge amount of, I'd bit like, I, it's always been people sort of presumed that. And, yeah. uh, and I did a few, but I, I'd, I'd, I'd generally sort of be on the poster rather than sort of like just turning up. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah, it'd yeah. just be, I just on all the chalkboard mainly, yeah, 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 but yeah, it'd yeah. just be like, I just said yes to every gig. It was yeah. basically the thing, and and it was you know when you when people you know when you're not asking for you know a couple of beers, yeah. then it's like and people were putting on bands just like just chuck him on, you know, yeah. like it'll get it'll sort of get them going and rolling yeah. from that. So yeah, I guess that's maybe that's it. A watch film makes a good unknown live act. Let me explain that, but I think it's why you've always worked great at festivals and you work great as a support is you've got something about you that if they're walking in and they've never heard of you you win them over quite quickly. And that can be the tough thing of support slots or festival slots. Right, yeah, yeah. Like, I think it's quite interesting. It's with when my... it's your tour. If it's with... your tour, they're already your fans. Yeah, they know what's yeah, going of on, course. But... Well, I think my songs are quite interesting, aren't they? There's not like, it's not like, oh, I wonder what he's talking about. It's like, you know, it's yeah. like, this is a song about chicken farming. You yeah. know, it's called the chicken song. And it, yeah. uh, you know, and it's sort <laughs> yeah. of, it's all quite self-explanatory and you get it straight away. It's yeah. very sort of say what you see songwriting, basically. So yeah. it can, you know, and which um, I, I guess maybe makes it a tad sort of throwaway as well, but certainly it's it's certainly got that instant sort of like bang. But here there's it is. an interest in this. In the, I mean, your statement of it maybe sometimes being a bit th- th- throwaway, which I, I think don't necessarily think is a bad thing. But I think thing. no, I don't think it's a bad thing because as you said, you're putting out an album every year. Yeah, that's, Therefore, it. that's you're part of the to... nature of it. You're exactly. doing it. Yeah. You're, you're increasing your um, list of options of songs. Every year, therefore, they have to be throwaway. There has to be certain songs. Yeah, yeah, they're just going to get that that anymore. I can't do. And talking about talking about you know current events as well, which will also you know you know I had a song called 2016, which was written in June 2016. You know that's got six months on it. Yeah, you know, (laughs) and just for the nature of what I do, I'm not going to be like. Here's a song about, you know, as soon as 2017 yeah. come, I've played it maybe once because somebody really wanted to hear it. I guess but. that's another reason that I always kind of think of you alongside the spoken word scene is because of that. The spoken word scene was always, a lot of bands will have the approach of we're, we're writing our records secretly and then it's coming out in a year's time and things right, like that. Okay. You could do as what excited me at that point about the spoken word scene, that something could have happened that week. Yeah, yeah, And you could yeah, be on stage in a couple of nights about, yeah. and singing still, about it you know, and, and talking still, about it. still do that now, yeah. you know, like that's... And that's exciting. That gives it that urgency and that... that and again, it does give it a shelf life potentially, but yeah, yeah. that's not the point of it. It's not about his... But I'm that's, writing that's this where the instant... Like, that's where this, the instantness comes from yeah. as well. If it's like, oh, right, he's... He's talking about, about Cambridge Analytica, yeah. like whoa, like yeah, yeah, yeah. and and it, so you know it is, you know, talk about what's what's going on, sort of there and then, and that's with this kind of you know the, I, I'm never normally one to look backwards, uh, you yeah. know, certainly musically, but with this tour, it is a little bit like you know looking back to the first record, and it's quite interesting to see 
not how much I've changed, almost how wrong I was on a few bits. Mate. Uh, you know, and it's like uh, there's most of the songs I stand by them and sort of still agree with them. I had one song called Fuck the Smoking Ban yeah. and I was ad, I was fully against the smoking yeah. ban. You know, I thought it was sort of like they was, you know, I was fighting for our culture at the time. Yeah. No longer a smoker. I can't stand it when people <laughs> smoke inside. You know, like we're like, and I got songs about giving up smoking as so well. It's not like I'm. But sort that's of like, a good thing, man. I, I did a post recently, just saying on social media in the last, as we recorded this in the last day, I think I put it up, just saying, look, everyone who's moaning, all the old school hip hop heads who are moaning about mumble rap, you're the same as the people that were moaning about your hip hop, saying. It's not even real music. They can't sing, and they're using samples. They're not even playing oh, yeah, instruments. Yeah. Well, it's like it's, punk and dubstep. Exactly, it? it's, it's the like, same thing. Just you don't have to like it, but you don't have to. Sh- yeah, sh- you're not sh- fucking sh- supposed to. You're too old now. And, and, you and know, someone but... responded to that and said, "But isn't what you're arguing against? Isn't that what your song Fixed is about? It's it's saying you need to give respect to hip hop. I like it was in the old days." And I had to say to him, "I was like, yeah." And I was wrong. <laughs> Thankfully, in ten years, I've I've grown up, and my right. mind. You you'd hope that in ten years you'd yeah. develop your mind and develop your views and opinions. You've got about if you're married to what you decide in six like ten years ago, then that's a problem potentially. Then, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, no, it's not exactly the same because what I'm saying in fixed is that a great sound happened, and a lot of people were just copying it. But still, it was still saying not as good as the old days of hip hop, which. He's dumb and ignorant, but that's right, the kid okay, I was at that yeah. point. I was like, old school, old school's the, the way. I think the biggest song error I had was, uh, which again shows that a lot has changed. Uh, well, it was a song, it was like an environmental song on my first album called yeah. The Great Big Fucking Hole. And it was basically about the the hole in the ozone layer yeah. uh, confused with climate change, right. which I, at the time I was like, you know, you should you should try and use public transport. You should turn a light off when you leave the room, and you know don't waste electricity because there's a hole in the ozone layer. And I got when I put it out, I got a few different people wrote to me, and I was like, your heart seems to be in the right place, but you you just misinformed. Like the hole in the ozone layer was a problem. It was linked to like CFC gas yeah, and yeah. Uh, polystyrene. It's like we actually changed our ways and fixed that. That's yeah. no longer a problem. Uh, the new problem is climate change, and that's why we shouldn't be wasting electricity, blah, 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 and energy. But, you know, there the you go. Yeah, yeah, the two separate things. Yeah, the two separate things, which my answer was like, well, why didn't anybody say thank you for the fixing the hole in the ozone? Yeah. <laughs> clearly, that, clearly that poster I did in science, you know, was it was <laughs> I great. S- I sorted that out, guys. Yeah. Um, but, no, but it's almost seriously like the, uh, you know, it's bad management, isn't it? If someone does something good, you know, because yeah. people, people are told these environmental problems that are coming up. It's like doomsday, you know. Not, but if it's like, if it was like, look, there used to be a thing called the ozone layer, yeah. holding ozone. That was a big problem. We sorted our shit out and fixed it. Now we've got another problem we need to fix. Yeah, it's like it's that, taken. It should be taking the the positive thing of yeah, no, we can make a difference. That, it's like, the whole ozone that's gone. You know, yeah. it's like no one said that's gone, and it's like so that. But that song at the same time, I had uh, these people writing saying how wrong I was. Somebody else wrote and said, really love your song, uh, Great Big Fucking Hole. Working in primary school, I've edited the version so that it doesn't swear. Yeah. Uh, and uh, here's a, my class singing and dancing to it Amazing. for their school assembly. And I had to write to them and say, it's factually incorrect. <laughs> please, please adjust this. <laughs> yeah, uh, this yeah. hole in the ozone. Do, do, you, do your posters about something else. I love that. But again, I think people... One of our big problems in society is our stubbornness. Is our like, here's what I thought, therefore 
Fuck can't change else. it. It's like, yeah. no, you should be open to being convinced of stuff. Politically as well, yeah. Go, People give me stick when I won, you know, for one election I was like Green Party and it was like, vote Labour and everyone's like, I thought you voted Green Party. It's like, I did then. You yeah. know, like, a lot's changed. Now. Mate, it's a constant thing that people get so angry and and, and, and ranty. And I had a guy who's, who was m- mad at me recently because I had um, a Patrice Kaluzon who started the Black Lives Matter movement, is one of the co-founders of Black okay. Lives Matter. And he was like, why have you had our on there, a terrorist organisation and all that? I was like, I'll discuss it with you if you listen to it. Right, and he was like, "I've not listened to it, but this, this is like, well, this... number one, we I brought up the use of violence, I brought up the accusations of terrorism. So, you, if you what, what you're angry about, about it, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's been on there and discussed. Surely, talking about it, it's that what can you do if not that? If and you then, don't want, to... yeah. And he was just going on and on and on. And I said to him, uh, one of the problems with debate on the right and the left is the inability to hear what the other person is saying. The wanting to have an opinion without doing any research. And he came back saying." Well, you, you, you've assumed I'm on the right, but I've never said that, blah, blah. And I was like, you've, you've not read the tweet even. You've <laughs> assumed I said one of the problems with the, the right, conversation right, okay. on the right. Yeah. And he went quiet after that because like, that's how much assumption and confirmation bias yeah. you have. Because you thought I was attacking you. You've got, well, how do you know I'm on the right? I was like, go back and read the tweet. I said the right and the left. It's, it's a problem on is both that, sides. Is that, that part we... of the internet going to survive? Surely that needs to just be like that. That kind of the, the the sort of comment section can just vanish. It's dangerous and weird, isn't it? About it. My brother's a big believer on. He thinks we're wrong to constantly talk about how we've not figured out how we should use social media and things like that. Because he thinks that it's overall damaging and we shouldn't be using it. It's bad. It's it's. And again, most of the people who, a lot of the people who started your Facebooks and things like that have had big breakdowns and said, I've unleashed this kind of evil on the world, as we're seeing more and more right, of it influencing yeah, yeah. politics what? with people just, again... It's crazy the, to think that they can swing an election with a few paid Facebook posts, though, yeah, isn't it? I mean, weird. you know, everybody does it as yeah. well. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. easy to bitch about it, but, you know, how would, you know, you sell your tours without it and whatnot. Yeah. And I think more fall the people that are falling for it yeah. as well. Like, I think people got their guard up a little bit more. Maybe, you know, before the sort of lid was blown off this, people did believe everything they read. And at least... You Which know, is crazy anyway. Yeah, exactly. Man. You know, it's, I mean, you know, I have a hard time. I never really believed the news or TV before it was, you know, yeah. the internet. And, it, you know, but if that's a lesson that's learned I, from, from it, then no, can't be a bad thing. I had Rutger Bregman on the podcast. And this is just us catching up now. We could end the podcast and just keep talking. Right, I was going to say, is there this a This is just like, we're still chatting now. No, there's no time limit. I had Rutger Bregman on and he was saying... Um, Everyone talks, goes on and on about a f- fake news being the problem. His belief is one of the biggest problems in society is the the news because it skews our opinion on everything. Previously, we didn't know if something bad happened once in a part on in somewhere on the other side of the world. Yeah. Now we see every small bad thing that happens, and we assume the world the has gone, gone to, to shit. shit. It's like yeah. no. It's always been as shit as it looks. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If not worse, and it it's may, better and than it, it was. It's improved because we've seen it all now. We have this perception that it's all fucked and we can't do anything about it. And as you said, we've solved the hole in the ozone layer. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's, it, it, it goes back to that. that kind of, here's what we yeah. have done. Yeah, so it gives you hope. Otherwise, you can. It's so easy. And I've had this in the past. It's so easy to go, oh, we can't change the thing, though. Oh, you can't. 
yeah, the politicians are all the same, and this and that, or know, whatever the world's, else. The world's falling apart, you know, and it's and it's in control, and what it's being we controlled do? by other people. What can we do? It's like, well, you can do plenty. You Locally, can change your yeah. world instantly. Exactly. Like tomorrow, you can start doing things to change your world. Let's not worry so much about the world. Yeah, let's let's, that's, let's, that's, let's start you know, smaller. If there was an angle of my songs, that is it. Yeah, you know, yeah. like you know, just we need. Yeah, we definitely need to. You know. Look at each other more yeah. than you know more than the screens. So what's ahead? You've got the book coming out, and you're going to tour that. You've got the huge ninth anniversary, of <laughs> seminal <laughs> of your first album. So, um, after this, in fact, I'll tell people now. It might have come out before because I'm not sure when they're going out. But you're going over to, to do the hardcore listing podcast. Yes, Grays, which yeah. is a podcast I'm a fan of. I've been on numerous times. Which oh. is top fives, and your top five was. I'm doing the top five one. places to have a pint in England. That's perfect, man. That's it's... perfect. Stu was so happy because Stu, we, I'll tell you how hardcore listings started. I started doing the thing on the podcast just called The Drunk Cast. Yeah, where, I listened to it. Oh, we'd go yeah, and get yeah. drunk in, in Stu's shed. And off the back of that, a company called Love Beer, who are great. I love beer. It's a weird one because they've sponsored and helped hardcore listing for a long while, but... I've at points had different beer companies sponsoring the podcast. Right. So because Love Beer aren't an official sponsor, I, I feel right. confident. We hate I them. like to yeah, support. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's not even the money thing. It's like everyone who sponsors are independent anyway. So it's like if they've paid. Who's to get Is there love, a beer sponsor? But no, there's not at the moment. That's right. why I can say that Love Beer are fantastic. And they're, <laughs> and they're awesome. So finally they can, can get their dues here as well as on, on Hardcore Listen. But they, they hit Stu up and said, do you want us to put some taps in? Because his bar was just his shed, essentially. That he had some right. seats okay. in the That's fridge. Beer on draft and they went there, and put in this thing that looks like stocks, and it's got draft, it's got wow. kegs and everything. So you can have a... It, uh, as soon as I saw your choice of the top five places to drink, I know Stu was like, number one, that's perfect. Yeah. Number two, the sheds I want to get in there. Yeah. <laughs> By the end of the, the night, shed. I want to be on the list. <laughs> so Classic. that's good fun. But yeah, yeah, so after that, is it still the same plan of... More albums, more touring. Yeah, keep exactly. Keep keeping on. I mean, I do, I'm off to the states next week. Um, Amazing. Where I'm doing a bunch of headline shows, doing the Flogging Molly Sorted Dog Cruise. Wow. Which is my fourth trip to the Bahamas. Amazing. So when more I said, and more people are doing these cruises, mate, man. I, it's I love insane. it. I want to, if anyone is booking, I run these cruise things, and they want a live podcast or just a podcast. So I don't even have to do anything live. I can yeah, just yeah. document it along the way. Because again, they started to happen. Just as I was e- easing off of, or just as I stopped gigging, essentially. Right, but okay. there's been r- r- rap ones that look amazing. There's a Chris Jericho, the wrestler, is doing the, the, the J- J- Jericho Cruise, right. which is, there's wrestling on there every day. There's bands. He's got a band called a Fozzy. So there's bands. And right. I love the idea of it. Uh, I love it. It's so, it's like, it's so, because this is like a punk rock one. So it's yeah. like punk rock on a cruise ship is like a weird juxtaposition. And it's, it's a natural... The, a leap because about a few years into my career, they started doing the festivals at holiday parks at right, and okay. stuff like that, yeah, and Pontins, yeah. and that was great because yeah. it was gold because you've got the festival Sorry. atmosphere, you've got everything there, you're doing it at a time of year when no one would be there, and you've got little cabins and it's a bit more comfortable. So yeah, well, this the, is bloody comfortable. The leap onto a cruise is genius. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, I got I got it for when I say, you know, one gig leads to another. Yeah. Like we did after we did the Wembley show and then that led to me doing the arena tour with Frank, yeah. main support on that tour with Flogging Molly. 
I became good friends right. with them over the course of the tour. And they just kind of said, look, if you can ever get to any Flogging Molly gigs, you can open. Brilliant. So I showed up at Detroit like a few months <laughs> later. And I was you like, did. how are you doing? And I was like, just loved the, they just loved the attitude. And, yeah. was, and then that night I was like, we're planning this cruise. You should come. Uh, and I was like, well, of course I fucking should, you know, yeah. like, so where do I sign? I'm well and up for that. Where, did the first year, did it, and it was just like so, I just had the best time, just rocked up in like a Hawaiian shirt and Bermuda shorts, like cheap plastic sunglasses and, you know, just went for it for the whole weekend and kind of became the sort of unofficial mascot Amazing. for it. And, Amazing. Uh, and, then, <laughs> and the guy that runs it and the band were just like, you should come next year. And then they actually, I was writing songs about the cruise on it. Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. there was a water slide. I had this song about the water slide and it was like, and they basically called me up and they said, look, we do, we've, it was such, such a success. We're definitely going to do it next year. We're booking it now. If we send you the lineup, do you reckon you can get your your kit back on and sing a song announcing the lineup? And I was like, "Am I on the lineup?" They're like, "Jay, you'll always be on the lineup." And uh, and that was that. And it's like, it's a yeah, it's a trip to the you know, it's a fucking it's open bar. Like how long are they? Free. It's a weekend basically. It's It's like you say, it's like there's free venues on the boat. It's three thousand people. Free venues on the boat, and uh, and you start off in Miami and you go to. at Nassau in the Bahamas and then a private island and then back to Miami. And get, you sort of spend the days on the islands and then the evenings on the boat with the three venues. Like the first year was like Go Go Bordello, uh, Frank Turner, Mariachi El Bronx. Amazing. This year it's The Offspring. Like, wow, on so a cruise. Yeah. I love it. I'm going to now on record copyright the idea of Podcast Away, the first podcast yeah. cruise. I'll get Buxton, I'll get Richard Herring, and we just go on a cruise, and it's just a podcast cruise. Yeah, Just chat, we can do, I've got my club night I do, so I can bring my DJ lads along, and we can do the podcast away. Well, if if you want an official mascot. (laughs) So (laughs) perfect, you've got the the history, you've got the sea legs. I've already done it, yeah. Amazing. Well, uh, uh, where can people keep up to date with everything that that Uh, you're doing and that's going on? Google Beans on Toast. Took me a long time to get up above the food dish but i'm there yeah <laughs> i made it <laughs> i was gonna say that's a tough name to have when you yeah when it's, it's harder in the it's point. harder in the images section yeah. of the internet yeah but course. for the actual the, the, the sort of the web search you you find you'll get it there yeah and the book comes out in in may it's and right. that's but pre-orders now i'm did where well, before i go to the states i'm signing and personalizing in any pre-orders I'm trying to i've already sold enough pre-orders to cover my costs so I, it's, just, it's already a success as yeah. far as i'm concerned yeah. but uh but yeah you know i'd like to get it into as, as many hands as possible and, and that's then that's the way it needs to be well, man the, the 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 i kind of i one of the reasons i kind of i'm not the label on the head a little bit as well is i realize i'm not built for the business side of it because we everything that we've we've released when we've, we've got it in our hands of any artist and the artwork looks dope and the songs are dope we've kind of gone yes it was a success, success. Yeah, it's yeah. like i've not looked at the record sales or, or any of that <laughs> that side of it but it's, it's like the, we're the, happy the goal it. should be that and the fact is on a train whilst at work essentially yeah. touring you've written a book and it's now published it's going to turn up at your house yeah exactly yeah. Something, success, something out of man. nothing yeah and it feels like i've you know, uh, yeah, I'm really proud of it just because it's like the last thing I I ever thought I would do. It's so far out of my sort of comfort zone yeah. of, of kind of songwriting. But at, at core, it's the same. It's creating something out of nothing. Yeah. And, it re- and it really was that. You know, the, the actual, after the writing of it, the you know, it was just then 
finding people that knew what I was talking about to turn it into a book, yeah. basically. Yeah. And that was, you know, and there's, you know. Figuring out how to do that. And it's. Exactly. That's done. just dedication, isn't it? Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you very much. It's My been pleasure. an absolute pleasure. And I'll, I'll catch goodness. you again soon. There we go. That was beans on toast. I'm going to um, rerun through the dates now because, uh, you know, I said them at the start, I think, in the podcast. But So May 2nd, which should be tonight, right? What day is it? I don't know. Is Brighton Comedia. May 3rd is Bath Comedia. May 4th is Derby, the venue. May 5th is Kendall Brewery Arts Centre. May 6th, there's a matinee and an evening at the Voodoo Rooms in Edinburgh. May 8th, York the Crescent. May 9th, Sunderland Bonded Warehouse. Um, May 10th, Belfast the Black Black Box. I did a great spoken word gig a few a, a good few years back there. I loved it there. Uh, May 11th, Liverpool Invisible Wind Factory. Uh, a matinee and evening one in Sheffield. That's at the Leadmill on May 12th. May 16th is Folkestone at the Quarter House. May 17th, Colchester Arts Centre. And May 18th and 20th, the Clapham Grand. That's a hell of a, it's a, hell of a venue. Um, and you can buy... Or go to the sitting on the chair tour and standing on a chair. You can get all... Just basically head to beansontoastmusic.com. Beansontoastmusic.com. The book came out yesterday... So you can get that now, Drunk Folk Stories. And, uh, yeah, check all that out. I'll be back on Friday, guys, with a bonus podcast this week. And you do not want to miss it. Some of the stories told include Liam Howlett, Melly Mel, a guy called Michael Jackson. Next week, um, after the Friday episode, of course. So we've got, as I said, Nick Hawks on Friday. But then the week after that... On Wednesday, I've got Jamali Maddox, and a lot of people are hyped about that. I did a little post online um, in my Instagram story, and I got a lot of people excitedly responding. Chili Ray McCormack, who was in the Dark Summer photo shoot, was particularly hyped for it. That's going to be great. He's awesome. So that's that's May 9th. And then the next week, it should be MVP and Mark Goddard, and then that Ask Pip one. There's loads to come. But until then... This has been episode 202 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Beans on Toast. Bye.